Denver give the 2024 third round back to New Orleans mid-season for Taysom Hill? Welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. It's finally here, the Super Bowl is upon us, uh, we're going to dig into that and just tell you why the Chiefs are doing So hey, we've got Connor here, we've got Roland. Hello. And we got Harry. Hi. How are we getting on, boys? Sean, unfortunately, is is a mid-transit from uh, from Galway, so I don't think he's going to be able to make it onto the pod. So uh, we thought we'd bring back in Harry for this one, uh, both because you know it's good to get his takes on the... On the Super Bowl, but also, we'll say maybe the first news story is something that might touch t- touch at his heartstrings somewhat. But uh, how are we getting on, lads? How's yourself, Harry? How's all in Dublin? Uh, grand enough, grand enough. Uh, getting on. Um, been missing being on the podcast a little bit. Uh, haven't been missing having to edit it, so <laughs> <laughs> no, no regrets there. Um, now, I think things are well. Uh, tipping away at work, getting getting now into the time of year where things are getting. Uh, very socially busy as well as as well as work. I think everyone's on that post Christmas, on that post Christmas thing. So I have had no free weekends, and I won't until mid March. But uh, exciting times, yeah, surviving. Yeah, no, very good. Um, what about yourself, Fitz? How is Cork getting on? Uh, not too bad. I was back home for a family thing as well at the weekend there as well. So mixing it up, mixing it up, but uh, yeah, it's quite enough, you know. But. Uh, with the Super Bowl Cup coming, you know, plenty to keep me active for the rest of the week. Yeah, we're going to have you up here to Dublin with us for the Super Bowl. We've got a big session planned. Anyone who's in the Dublin area might see us down the wool shed. Uh, as I mentioned before, and I think the Arrowheads Abroad fan group are coming over as well. So there's going to be big numbers in, uh, which I think is going to be necessary. Because as I remember, pretty much every single night we've been in the wool shed this year, there's been a very large amount of Eagles fans. And they are very loud. And some of them are very nice, but overall they're very obnoxious. <laughs> Someone needs to take out their batteries, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but no, um, I suppose we'll fly in and have a look at some of the news from around the league. The big one, obviously, uh, and as Sean wasn't here, we thought Harry would be the next best person to be chatting about it. Tom Brady has retired. This time, he says it's definitely for good. After 23 seasons, he's a seven-time Super Bowl champion, three times MVP. Uh, he is 89,214 yards, 649 touchdowns in the regular season, plus 13 and a half and 88 in the playoffs, which puts him top of all that. Um, yeah, kind of generally considered to be the greatest of all time. Uh, maybe not the maybe not the final year he wanted to be going out on, but yeah, kind of posted a video from see if he was on the beach. Uh, kind of a lot of very similar vibes to his retirement last year. Um. Obviously, we know that he's meant to be joining this Fox commentary team, but he's pushed that back a year now, so he's not going to be joining them immediately. Uh, do we buy this? Do we think he's actually gone this time? Because like, it's weird to just push back the Fox job a year. <laughs> like That feels slightly weird to me. But yeah, like it, it feels like this is actually it this time, right? Yeah, I mean, there is an element, and I think we're seeing maybe a bit more of a reaction from various things around the league, like the Patriots saying, I want to sign to a one-day contract and so on, that we didn't necessarily see as much of last time. So maybe there's an element of feeling that this is a bit more real. Mm. Um, I'm not fully convinced the man is a football machine. It's all he seems to have. Well, it's definitely all he has going on in his life now, (laughs) after his last postponed retirement. So it's, you know, always weird to see him stepping away because it's like, as we saw last time, he can't 
seem to function without football. Now, maybe being part of the Fox thing will make that transition into uh, regular life a little easier for him. But, um, I mean, I don't know. Like, he's still a probably above average quarterback, even though he's obviously nowhere near the, the stage he was at when he was in his prime. He can probably still play. But uh, for now, I think we just have to take this as finally, finally moving on, uh, finally, you know, finally retiring and finally giving somebody else a chance yeah. uh, to take over that uh, that that uh, mantle as the guy to beat. Because even when you know Brady wasn't at the height of his powers, he was in decline for the last few years. There was still always this aura about him. There was still always this big thing about being able to beat Brady. Um, and yeah, without having that anymore, that that is a change for the league. Even though obviously it's not the guy at the top of his powers, it's not the obviously the greatest of all time, not the greatest in the game right now. Stepping away, but some mm-hmm. of that mystique, some of that aura is gone, and God, the, the Bucks are going to be in a lot of trouble, I think. Yeah, the Bucks are fucked. Like that's just <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> like you that know, whole division like, is fucked. Like Todd yeah. Bowles doesn't seem like a guy who's a rebuild guy, but. If the franchise wants to go in that direction, then they do have pieces. Like Mike Evans could probably be traded for a decent amount. And he's a veteran guy. He's only got a few years left probably in him. And they have other pieces. And I think Tom Brady, like, I think if the right situation came up, he could still do a really good job for you. He's still like a top half quarterback, maybe top 10 even. Uh, But you probably need someone with a decent defensive line and decent weapons uh, to get the most out of him. Like, if you put him on that Eagles team, as we'll talk about in a moment, I think he could definitely be successful in that and probably go to a Super Bowl. But those opportunities don't just come around that often. And so I think for Tom Brady, like he, he spited Adam Schefter by staying for one more year and proving Adam Schefter wrong by, by unretiring. And now he's, you know, had one more year, which was a little bit depressing. He still made the playoffs, but obviously in a really terrible division. Um, and they got you know, blasted in, in the playoffs then. And so it's not the best ending, like the best ending probably would have been after the first year in Tampa Bay. But this is a guy who always believed that he could win more and keep winning. And unlike, say, Peyton Manning, he didn't really need the extra Super Bowl to burnish his legacy. He has seven of the fucking rings already. I think he'll be okay. And he stayed long enough to basically break every single passer record that exists in the NFL, both overall and in season. So, you know, you look at the record book and it's just like Brady, 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 Brady. And it's just, it's you know truly phenomenal what he's done. Uh, you know, and, and in terms of the actual, you know, it's a very heartfelt uh, and I assume emotionally authentic video that Tom Brady did to kind of get ahead of the kind of circus that kind of happened last time. Um, like I, I can't trust it because I'll be Tom Brady. I can definitely fake, like cry fake tears. That's definitely something he's learned how to do, I would imagine. But, um, you know, <laughs> it led to a lot of like interesting kind of reheated uh, retirement, which is I think like the Patriots Twitter account retweeted its own retirement. <laughs> like, congratulations from last year and stuff like that. And look, the Fox analyst thing, look, that's he's basically get paid more to be an analyst than he was getting paid to be a player, albeit he could have got paid more as a player if he wanted to, to be honest. Um, so like when he comes back as an analyst, which hopefully he will, um, I'm hoping that he kind of turns into like just like an angry guy on the sideline, just like a coach on the sideline. It's like, what the hell are you doing? Just like really angry, really annoyed, and just like picking apart every single team that he sees every week and kind of be like the, almost the anti-Tony Romo. Uh, get rid of that positivity. Time to break everyone down. Get your revenge. As an analyst on the side, are you allowed to break as many Surface tablets or do you have to be a bit more careful with those? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I have to get a <laughs> lifetime supply of Surface tablets from to smash. We'll say this is, this is more a reference just, just, for our Irish yeah. listeners, but to suggest that this is closing the door for definite isn't necessarily true. As we say, greatest of all time, we have uh, news breaking at the moment that Bertie Ahern has just returned to the Fianna Fáil party. So never say never. That door is never fully closed. Yeah, and like, look, do, like, like, if you want to hear, 
if you want to hear our kind of more uh, authentic thoughts or like you know more congratulatory thoughts, you can go back to our this time uh, last conversation. year <laughs> exactly, and you can obviously you know second time round for you know a little bit more shy and I suppose but you know greatest of all time no denying that yeah um, we'll move on I have a look I don't like the Bertie I don't like the Bertie analogy because I'm worried Tom Brady's going to run for president mm. <laughs> good like Trump has already pissed off all of his base they could just bring him then as the uh, as a kind of the heir apparent to that uh, let's move on to the coaching carousel there's been a couple of changes big one happened there um, Denver have traded a 2023 first and a 2024 second for head coach Sean Payton's rights and a 2024 third from New Orleans um, he's coming over he's going to be paid a buttload of cash this obviously on the back of a very bad season with Russell Wilson beforehand the new owners taking over and them having that Walmart bank to be able to pay for this stuff Um there have already been comments made from Sean Payton about, like, no, Russell Wilson is not allowed to have any personal coaches on the team grounds. No, he's not guaranteeing anything. They're basically kind of taking a little bit of a hard line on it. Um, it's <clears throat> It feels like a little bit much here. If you think what they gave up to acquire Russell Wilson, what they saw out of that, to then go, okay, now we're going to trade a first and a second for the rights to pay this guy 15 million a year plus a third round pick. They've given up a lot to him. And what's interesting is I think this means that Russell Wilson is not the most powerful man in the building anymore. Up up to this point, I was like, well, he'll outlast any coach because they've given him the big money. But now it's like, okay, well, they've now traded for Sean Payton. They've given him big bucks. They can kind of get out of this Russell Wilson deal in a year and a half's time to two years' time. So, like, I think this starts a clock on Russell needing to, to pull up his socks versus him being the one who could say, well, no, make the make the offense suit me. Um, I I like the acquisition of Sean Payton. I still think Denver are going to be a toilet next year. Yeah, like, it's a tough position for Denver. Like, you know, obviously, they already traded a bunch of their picks to get Russell Wilson in the first place, and they're going to be paying that tab for another couple of years. And now they're giving up a first-round pick this year to get, uh, which they traded Bradley Chubb to get. It's not even their original first-round pick, uh, to get Sean Payton, and they're trading a second-rounder next year. Uh, and obviously, that's a swap for a third-rounder, so it's not a complete disaster. But, you know, suddenly you know, you're taking a roster which the defense was very solid even with the trade of Chubb last year, so you would hope that would hold up, though obviously now they've had some change on the defensive coordinator side, as we'll talk about the moment with the loss of Vigero Vero, uh, or Vero, and so you're just in a situation where you know, there's a lot of uncertainty here, but like, look, Sean Payton is an experienced coach. He's won a Super Bowl. He's had you know over a decade of sustained success in a, in New Orleans, a team which you know the, up till then had been a complete dumpster fire. So obviously, this is a guy who has a lot of cachet. I don't think this is necessarily the job that he was looking for. I thought he would probably, uh, when he took the year off, that he'd be able to come back this off season and kind of have the pick of the litter. And that's just not the way it came out. And there have been reports uh, and kind of uh, offhand comments uh, by uh, Terry Bradshaw, for example saying that this wasn't the job he would necessarily take in, but obviously I think he definitely didn't want to do the analyst thing for another year and maybe see his CV kind of, you know, fade a bit. Um, and so he's willing to get back in the saddle here, um, if you'll pardon the pun for the Broncos. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think in terms of the Russell Wilson situation, I think you, you're completely right. Like, I think this completely um, undoes the balance of power we expected when the Russell Wilson trade happened. You know, Nathaniel Hackett was basically Russell Wilson's bitch, uh, or, you know, he was certainly made to look like a bitch by Russell Wilson refusing to take his orders. And I think Sean Payton is very aware of what just happened there. And, you know, given new ownership, will be in power to do whatever it takes. And if that means, you know, making Russell Wilson unhappy, if that means even benching Russell Wilson, if he puts up the horrific type performance, 
hits as we saw last year, then that's something that may happen, like even if it is for like a no-namer or whoever they happen to have behind him. And, you know, I think from my perspective, like that's probably a good thing. Like Russell Wilson's performances last year were unacceptable. Like that was a team that was holding team most teams to less than 20 points and they were still failing to win a bunch of games. Like if they had won those games, like, but the offense would be bad, that was one thing, but the be that bad like there just has to be major questions to ask i think the one sliver of hope you can have is that maybe nathaniel hackett was a big issue there because when they got rid of nathaniel hackett and they brought in the interim head coach russell wilson was a bit better in the you know kind of closer to what they expected in the last couple of games so it might just have been nathaniel hackett trying to fit russell wilson into his system and just that whole tension and, and offensive situation not working at all i think sean payton has shown a capability of evolving his core evolving his offense to suit the needs of his quarterback like even if drew Brees' career starting as a gunslinger who you know was throwing it deep to marcus colson and the like and then becoming a, you know a more precision passer short passer to michael thomas you know he's a guy who's proven he can work with quarterbacks it's just a matter of russell wilson is ready and able to step up and to take that on board so i think denver give the 2024 third round back to new orleans mid-season for Taysom Hill. <laughs> yes, that, that would be very uh, Sean Payton. Like, although Dennis Allen seems to like him as well, so I don't know, they'll have to fight over the... They can have a custody battle over him, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, I'll do a quick run around all the other ones and we can hop on to the ones that we want to talk about. So Minnesota have hired former Miami head coach Brian Flores as DC. Carolina have hired Denver, hired Denver defensive coordinator Ajiro Aviro as DC. He was released from Denver following the Payton trade. Uh, San Francisco have hired former Carolina defensive coordinator interim head coach Steve Wilkes to be their defensive coordinator. Jordans have hired former Cleveland defensive coordinator Joe Woods as DC. Uh, it's also after they parted away with Chris Richards and uh Ryan Nielsen was hired away by Atlanta. Dallas have promoted coaching analyst and former Seattle Seahawks offensive coordinator Brian Schottenheimer to be offensive coordinator. And Tennessee have promoted passing game coordinator Tim Kelly to be offensive coordinator. Not a lot of fireworks in these movements. I like the flying Flores move, particularly how crappy that Minnesota defense looked in the, particularly in the back half of it. And like... Carolina defense looked okay. Like Steve Wilkes did an all right job, so I don't hate that in San Francisco. Uh, but for the most part, this is kind of the shuffling of the deck that we'd expect. Like, there's a few nothings here. Like Dallas having Brian Schottenheimer becoming OC, given that it's very publicly not him that's going to be calling plays and things like that. Like, they're, they're somewhat low wattage, I would say. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, none of these are going to, I think, be, be earth shattering. Uh, although you never know, but uh, there's nothing there that sort of jumps out as being like a huge thing. It all seems relatively sensible. Obviously, Schottenheimer, the big question mark there is that that man has a very long legacy uh, of, of uh, failure uh, or mediocre performance. But as we say, he's not actually going to be calling plays, so probably not going to matter that much. It's hard to get particularly excited about any of these, um, to, be, to be completely honest with you. But that's often the way with coordinators. They're sort of quiet moves a lot of the time. Uh, and then it really, if somebody has meshes with the personnel, it really can pop off during the season. So mm. uh, yeah, hard to assess. But there's nothing that jumps out of being like, wow, okay, this is this is a game changer. Yeah, like look, Brian Flores. I think the big nice thing about that is obviously his own, he has an ongoing lawsuit with the NFL. Uh, or yeah, that that's ongoing regarding racial discrimination and stuff. So it's good to see that he hasn't been you know shoved down too much. And fair play to the Pittsburgh Steelers for hiring him last off season and kind of you know continuing to allow him to be in the NFL. And now Minnesota giving him a major promotion back up to BTC. Although of course, yeah. as a former head coach, uh, that 
you know that's not a promotion per se, but it you know I think he's been he he has been very close to some head coaching offers this off season. So don't be surprised if he's back in the saddle um, yeah. in the next season or two. Um, I think it's also probably an improvement for Minnesota just because they were so bad last year. It'd be hard so for bad. him to not burnish his reputation with that defense because it was just so shit. As for Carolina, like Ajiro uh, Vero is someone who obviously isn't that experienced. He kind of, but he showed he could put together a really good defense as a DC for Denver last year. Nothing that was wrong with Denver was due to the defense. And yeah, it was interesting once the Peyton trade went through, uh, there was some kind of reports back and forth that, you know, Denver didn't really want to let him go, but apparently he requested to be released from his contract and eventually got his wish. So, and I think a bunch of other teams, including Minnesota, we're looking for his services so yeah obviously a guy who has the opportunity to move up steve wilkes i think for san francisco look that's a, a, a well-settled defense i don't think he's, he'll be expected to you know shake things up i think he'd just take this great defense and keep it working and he obviously is a guy with over two decades of experience of being a dc and a hd and and other things um so you would expect that should be fine and you know given the trajectory of san francisco defensive coordinators recently that's uh, probably a good bouncing point to become get back to being a head coach after his one year disaster in arizona joe wood like uh, Cleveland fans don't like him, but apparently Dennis Allen likes him. But it's Dennis Allen's defense. So I don't know how much influence he'll have. Yeah. Uh, Chris Richard, you know, like he's a guy who used to be the Seahawks. I'm a little bit disappointed to see. You know, he's kind of he's failed to kind of step up and kind of move on from then. But you know, it is what it is. Brian Shawner, lol. <laughs> he had like as Seattle as a Seattle fan. What I remember is like the one half a year where they let Russ cook and it was amazing, and then everyone just started playing too high safety and it was shit. Um, so not the most adjustable guy. And as I said last week when they when we talked about the um uh himself moving away uh yeah this is going to be a disaster i have a really bad feeling with this and you know obviously saving the best for last tim kelly being promoted from passing game coordinator to offensive coordinator into tennessee i'm sure we're only going to get the most exciting and sexy offense in tennessee oh well, this in is the thing like when when i think sexy i think the tennessee passing game for the last couple of years mm. uh Th- there is there is a tiny bit of intrigue there because Tannehill's contract situation is a little yeah. bit up in the air. There's a, there's so... a couple of questions about whether or not like uh, there's a lot of talk about whether or not he could be traded. But honestly, I, I I don't know why anyone would trade for Tannehill. But look, that's that's yeah. more off season talk. He's going gonna, gonna, gonna to end up on the Jets now, isn't he? <laughs> But yeah. I would say yeah. if Tim Kelly's getting promoted, then I, I think that's probably a good sign for Tannehill, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, crime and punishment. What are they doing? Probably felonies. Philadelphia offensive lineman Josh Sills has been arrested on rape and kidnapping charges related to a December 2019 incident where he's alleged to have forced a woman to perform horrible sex on him. Uh, he's obviously the backup guard for the Philadelphia Eagles, so won't have a massive impact on the on play, on, on the on field stuff. But this is an interesting one that it goes back this far and it's only being, being kind of. Uh, being acted on at this point i presume it's to do with um you know gathering evidence and statements and and, and stuff like that because you know this is four years on from that point so i think it came a little bit out of left field but also you'd imagine that philadelphia had to have had some visibility on this in advance because like you self-scout your own players for all this kind of stuff ongoing so yeah I, i i obviously we don't have a huge amount of detail on this at the moment but yeah not not a good look but obviously the, the organization probably didn't think that this was, was was coming to anything like this yeah the details are pretty grim like even like it's grim just from the way it's described yeah. officially mm-hmm. uh but uh yeah the, the situation it does not uh look good like the evidence looks pretty uh stacked against uh, josh sills and 
whatever uh, punishment he's given will probably be well deserved. But uh, yep. yeah, a pretty horrific incident. Uh, I think he was in his truck, uh, and uh, this the, the, that's where this uh, thing happened. So yeah, very very uh, awful altogether. Yeah, yeah, I think that there's there's something as well, um, Connor, what you're saying about them, whether or not the news is coming. This is a really unfortunate thing that we see over and over again in well. Not to the NFL, but across sports and the wider wider society as well. Often, to be honest, with you. they probably knew this was coming, and they still probably figured, well, we'd rather we'd rather see how much of the season we can get out of it before it comes to a head. Yeah, and he has to be has to be removed, and it's awfully cynical. But we see that a lot of the time. He, yeah. They don't. They're will, they're going to take the hit either way, in from the sense of not having the player anymore. So why not try and extract maximum value before um, his uh, actions catch up with yeah, him? Yeah. And it's it's yeah. awful and it's cynical, but. It's nothing new, sadly. Yeah, and like that's consistent because he is a undrafted free agent, so basically pennies to, to, in NFL terms to happen on the roster. Yeah. Uh, let's look at some injuries then. Super Bowl relevant injuries. Kansas City, Mikol Hardman is a pelvis injury and he's been placed on IR, so he won't be playing. Uh, CEH, Clyde Edwards Hilaire has been activated from IR, so he's going to be up and running. Um, questionable listings for Juju Smith Schuster, Kadarius Tony, Willie Gay Jr. Uh, but at the moment, while they're listed as questionable, all are expected to be playing. Um, so basically, relatively good. Not great that they're missing Mikol Hardman, but good that they've gotten at least some of the other wide receivers back. Although I believe there's talk about Tony possibly being on a snap count, but you know that was possibly you know already what his usage was going to look like in the game anyway. For Philadelphia, there's no players marked as questionable uh, or anything worse than that at all. So relatively healthy-looking teams coming into this game, so that's good. Um, the off-season relevant one though is uh, during the Pro Bowl games, which uh, we will be discussing in a little bit. Uh, Miles Garrett, the edge defender for Cleveland, uh, had a toe injury. I believe it might have been a broken toe, minor injury, but it did happen at the thing. So like. Uh, almost certainly not going to have any impact on anything else unless something aggravates it massively. Um, but yeah, so not surprisingly sprightly coming into into the game. Obviously, Hardman will be lost a little bit, particularly on jet sweep stuff, if they're going to try and spread out the linebackers a little bit more because he has a level of speed, which, you know, if, if only one or two other players on the team might be able to, to reach. And uh, the only other bit of news we'll mention as well is wide receiver AJ Green is retired after 12 seasons with Cincinnati and then finishing up with Arizona. He started his career with 5,000 yard seasons and then kind of fell off after some injuries in 2018. He finished his career with over 10,000 receiving yards and 70 touchdowns. Uh, there are some people who will be making a case for him to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I think he's probably Hall of Very Good. Uh, I don't think he's quite Hall of Fame level. Yeah, I think that's about right. Um, if he'd been able to sustain that production through his career, maybe we would have that conversation, but based on obviously, well, a very, very good player in his prime and one of the, the best wide receivers in the league in his prime. Uh, when you look at the Hall of Fame, particularly when you look at wide receiver, which is a very difficult uh, category yeah. to get elected in, there's a big backlog there. Um, he doesn't really stand out against many of the historical names. That no, I think I think the, the the lack of off the, the lack of postseason production in particular is going to stand out against him. That's, that's yeah, especially, also a factor. And especially also now that Cincinnati are good at it. Dreadful. Yeah, well, that's it. People are going to think about Cincinnati and be like, "Well, they're good now. Why, why doesn't this guy have any production <laughs> back then?" Yeah. I just say, Miles Garrett. I think it was a dislocated toe, and oh, I did. It was popped right back in, so no, no damage done, but just one of those things where, hmm, if if you could dislocate a toe at the Pro Bowl games, we'll have to cut one of these uh, activities. I think he was in one of those uh, kind of Move uh, the obstacle obstacle course uh, type ones where he uh, where it popped out. So uh, no damage I done, do but uh, maybe players will be more uh, circumspect. 
Yeah, there was a. I do there... think um, one thing to say on AJ Green. I do think that uh, along with Andre Johnson, uh, he does have a Hall of Fame on-field fight after that time he suplexed uh, Jalen Ramsey. So he does have that going for him. That is true. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So on that lovely note, I suppose we will swing over and take a look at uh, the updates from the game last week. So uh, the Pro Bowl was last week. The final score, AFC to the NFC, was uh, 33 to 35. But I think. Uh, as always, we say uh, all games are important, but some games are less important than others. So the entirety of this review is going to be put into the dump off. So Ronan, please take it away. Yes, dump off special edition. We're back, baby, for one more ride. But uh, yeah, look, the Pro Bowl games, like they're not bad. It's just like, it's just meh. And of course, the integration of skill challenges, which were good, didn't really work, especially because, you know, you win all the skill challenges, you still lose like, I don't know kind of said some things about this but we'll give a review of the skills challenges where these were used to give the uh, the starting points for the actual uh, pivotal game at the end and uh, the first skill challenge was precision passing so obviously this is a kind of game where pa- where quarterbacks are trying to hit targets that are moving and stuff like that there's a drone now and there's like moving robots and stuff like that it's all very exciting uh, but the main winner here was the AFC who won 71 to 55 on the aggregate score with Derek Carr putting up a great show of 31 points uh, 10 ahead of the second place Tyler Huntley and Jared Goff. Obviously Derek Carr going for that big new shiny contract and obviously there's some reports around him going to New Orleans already so maybe they were impressed at the Pro Bowl but uh, he did throw a pick in the uh, main game so not all good for Derek Carr but uh, AFC dominates there gets their three points for precision passing. Next up was the lightning round which was just kind of a bunch of kind of random uh, games mostly involving catching or, or uh, catching or passing type of things so the defense and the offensive line, you know, they were made to do some of the fun stuff together and they ended up being the guys who actually made it through to the end, surprisingly, when the, the games involved either catching punts or uh, throwing water balloons at each other. But apparently they're very good at it and Hendrickson uh, managed to dunk Eli, uh, but only with confetti. That's such a cop out. Why didn't you dump Eli with the water? It's still, you know, yeah, that, that's Pro Bowl game for you. Like they're just not really at it, you know? Three points for ASC, 6-0 ahead of that point. Then there was the longest drive, which was just a random, you know, who can drive the ball furthest, you know, in a, on a golf, in a golf, golf. The, ha- the Happy Gilmore competition. Yeah, basically. And Jordan Poyer won with the final shot uh, to hit 320 yards, which had beaten Hawkinson, who had got on his second shot, and he was the final contestant for the NFC. The only highlight here was Darius Smith, who had never played golf before, and he did go basically full Happy Gilmore, attacking the ball uh, like, you know, he was trying to kill it, basically. Uh, he managed to hit it once. Uh, so well done to Darius Smith, I suppose, on that. Uh, AFC won there, obviously Jordan Poyer from the AFC. Uh, then there was dodgeball, one of, probably one of the better games that's been solid for the Pro Bowl the last couple of years in the Skills Challenge. They, they actually had a weird thing where the AFC defense and offense played each other, NFC offense and defense played each other, and that decided who would play in the actual final. Uh, so that was kind of fun. Um, the NFC offense kind of sneaked through because the Darius Smith uh, hit Saquon Barkley in the head and apparently that was a disqualification situation uh, so it was ended up in the AFC defense versus the NFC offense and the NFC offense basically blasted the AFC defense uh, at the end it was a 3-1 to one for the NFC and they all Simon smacked Nick Fitzpatrick in the head and uh, not in the head uh, you know, appropriately and they uh, got the win then uh, so NFC get a bit back in at this point going into flag football game 1 uh, it was 9-3 to three. So the flag football game won, um, the NFC won this, where this is worth six points, and basically Gino was great, who knew, and he was particularly effective with his defense, with his t- tight ends, and uh, f- uh, tight ends, uh, so 
you know, that was pretty pretty fun to see in Kittle and Hawkinson. Uh, Huntley was actually solid. He's quarterback for the AFC, and it was 2020 at the half, but a, a flea flicker from Juzek uh, was basically the difference in the second half, and uh, CD then made a big play to break the tie at the end. Uh, so the NFC won that game and got back in the hunt of things and then tied things up, um, uh, despite a big chase, he, he, chase he touchdown uh, in the second half. Kick tac toe, probably, like I've, I've already said, I'm very disappointed, but this is particularly disappointed because this was won by the long snappers. It's called kick tac toe, not snap tac toe or kick snap snow. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense, but if Morgan Fox, he hit a straight up, like, to be fair, to be fair to him, he hit a, a line all along the left hand side. And just for who don't know, this is like if you're trying to kick or punt or long snap the ball against the, you know, uh, X's and O's board uh, to make you know, a line. And, you know, he. To be fair to him, he knew what he was doing, so fair play to him, but, you know, none of the kickers hit the target at all, and no one hit the middle one, which is, everyone knows, the optimal way to start the game, so, you know, uh, very disappointing. I, I, you know, as both an XS and O lover and a punt lover, and also an appreciator of kicking, yeah, very disappointing. Anyway, next up, Gridiron Gauntlet. Um, basically, this is kind of just an obstacle course where they made defensive linemen break through walls, they made linebackers go over an obstacle course with the overhill over a hill and then under a uh, thing and then uh, they ended up with uh, the running backs did the tyre run which obviously we're all familiar with and then the offensive lineman had to push a cart uh, which you obviously see on hard knocks and the like anyway the NFC dominated this uh, particularly Saquon Barkley um, he kind of made a lot of things there and Brian Burns kind of made up Miles Garrett who to be fair that's the thing where he picked up an injury in his toe so maybe a little bit of excuse there so NFC win easily and uh, at this point it's still tied up flag football game 2 AFC win of lower scoring effect uh, Trevor Lawrence gets picked off early, so things weren't looking good there, but the NFC, incredibly inefficient, they missed uh, an opportunity in the red zone, they had a fourth down sack, and they just gave AFC the opportunity to have a half-time lead, and then a sloppy second half, including a hilarious trick play where Stefan Diggs uh, was, you know, given the ball to pass and then threw it to his brother for, for a pick. You know, it ended up with a, see, he got his revenge because he got a big bomb TD at the end to secure the AFC, the win there. So six points to AFC, they take the advantage. And then they build on an advantage with another three points in the move to chain skill challenge. Um, this is basically a game where you had a wall with a bunch of weights on it. And then you had to have a, a game theory thing where, okay, how many weights we take off before we start dragging the wall over the finishing line. Apparently the optimal solution is to take nearly all of them off. And the AFC uh, were crushed the NFC in the first round by realizing that the other Two are much closer, but the AFC, uh, you know, they kind of got the 50-50 on, on the third attempt and one in round three. Uh, so, you know, fair play to them. I doubt it'll be, you know, quite as easy to win the first round next year. Uh, well, it depends if anyone was watching the Pro Bowl, I suppose. Uh, and then finally, best catch, which had kind of two versions. There was a social media fans vote thing where people were doing kind of stupid uh, uh, kind of videos of, you know, uh, there were, I think, Amon Ross St. Brown was catching balls while jumping into a pool. Uh, uh, Justin Jefferson was catching one from the fake Eiffel Tower in uh, in, in Las Vegas. Uh, one of them was catching them from a guy going down on a, on, a, on a slide and stuff like that. Anyway, it was it was interesting enough. And then the final was uh, between Amon Ra and Diggs uh, doing the same type of catch. Uh, with two different types of catch and they're getting voted on by the very logical choice of Pete Davidson, Snoop Dogg and LT. Uh, and Amon Ra won because he actually caught the ball in both attempts and Stefan Diggs did not catch anything and so I think that logically means that I'm on raw one uh, but Diggs did get 69 points from Pete Davidson in round two so <laughs> much banter I um, just I genuinely just don't get the Pete Davidson thing at all I just don't understand he's, he's got a big dick uh, anyway 
Yeah. But uh, I just I just don't get like at least at least with Snoop Dogg there's he's, he's tall and nice. Complicated. It's just like, like Snoop Dogg at least you know like performed at the Super Bowl beforehand. Is actually involved in football and youth football and stuff like that. Like it makes a little bit of sense. Like Pete Davidson's just like, okay, why are you here? That I just, yeah, just confuses me. Oh well. Look how they look how they massacred your boy Connor. I know the Pro Bowl used to be fucking class. Well, at least it was fun enough that we could pretend it was class. Or is that you can't even <laughs> pretend? Like this is just dog shit. And Harry's like, it was always bad. Don't pretend it was always yes, bad. Yes, I was always a Pro Bowl, uh, pro bowl hater. If, if the Pro Bowl only has one hater, it will be me. Anyway, uh, that meant that going into the main event, uh, it was 21-15 to 15 in favour of the AFC. So an upset win for the NFC, as mentioned, 35-33. to 33. The defences actually had the best of it early on, uh, until there was a flurry of points to even up at 27-27 to 27 at the half. Um, with Ju- uh, Kyle Juzek, the fullback for the NFC, actually being the key player with a number of important catches, as well as his own uh, trick, uh, flea, a flea flicker, and then a, his own throw as well. So Kyle Juzek can do everything. Uh, so fullback Pro Bowls forever. Just make it all fullback, basically, going forward. Uh, there was a couple of TDs then shared, and then the NFC just kind of ground out the clock after getting the lead. And apparently, huge controversy at the end because in flag football, you're not allowed to knee the ball. You have to pass the ball. Yeah, and you can't, to Peyton and, Manning. And you can't do a run play within five yards of the end zone, which is what a knee, kneel, uh, a, a kneel down counts as. So, like, yeah, no, he, he, is, he is correct on the regulation. Uh, yeah, so Peyton Manning was pissed, especially because he's losing to fucking Kirk Cousins. Like, you know, that's got to be pretty embarrassing. Albeit a, a familiar feeling for much of the NFL this year. Um, and yeah, so, you know, NFC takes it. I think it's the first time they've won in, in several years at this point. Uh, I think since they brought back the AFC versus NFC thing. Um, so, you know, congratulations to them. And they also won the Madden Pro Bowl as well, uh, which was happening uh, during the festivities as well. But I think they've won it every year it's happened. So, yeah, so like, look, somewhat underwhelming. It's fine to watch YouTube clips off, but uh, yeah. I think the, the, the fact they've denuded the main event so much just means it's, you know, it's all skills challenges now. And, you know, I don't know if that's really that interesting anymore. But, you know, players seem to like it and they got competitive at the end. So I think we'll have this for another couple of years anyway. Whether it'll have the Manning uh, or not, I'm not sure. I heard the players were pissed off because they didn't get to go to Hawaii. Oh, oh well, yeah, that, that bit they're probably not as, uh, as far enough. To be fair, fair play to Josh Jacobs. He basically said, this is bullshit. I went out of here. Get me out of here. Uh, so... Not every player was happy to be fair. <laughs> Very good. Um, that'll wrap up our... our... Do you think that's because yeah, he just doesn't want to be in Vegas anymore? He's just sick of it, right? Yeah, like, like he he did, yeah he seemed a little bit more annoyed, where Derek Carr seemed very sanguine about the whole situation. He's like, yeah, like he, think he, said, he was making comments on the side, like, saying, you know, that no-trade clause is pretty sweet right now. Uh, so, you know, it was... Yeah. It is what it is. That's just I, don't know we... the Manning, I don't know if the Manning element is required or not. We'll see. So as we didn't mention in the news there, but the the, the, the rumours are swirling at the moment that he's agreed compensation and to waive his no-trade clause for a move to New Orleans. But obviously, look, it's not confirmed or anything yet. We just thought we'd flag that up. And there's uh, initial rumours swinging around as well that the sale of the Washington Commanders is going to go through in the next two or three weeks. Um, but I don't know how reliable the, the, the current reporting on that is. They have blue check marks, but I believe you can just purchase those now. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll fill you in on some more of those details as we come closer down to it. But now it's time for the actual big game. Uh, we'll go in and we'll start our preview of the upcoming Super Bowl between Kansas City and Philadelphia. 
So yeah, KC versus Philly. Big game is here. My boys are here. We had intended to have a, a, a Philadelphia Eagles fan on as well for balance because we, we are nothing if not exactly like RTE. But uh, unfortunately, he was not available. Uh, so we decided we'd silence them entirely. Uh, we have predictions in from me, Ronan, Sean and Harry as to the end point. And then we're going to break this down section by section like kind of offense versus defense defense versus offense bits of coaching and tactics and so on do we want to start with our picks or do we want to save that till the end uh, save it to the end build up the drama yeah we'll build the drama okay so let's kick off then uh obviously look big game here we are talking about two incredibly evenly matched teams both the first seeds from both their conferences both have scored the same number of points this year both have the same record total this year it's um yeah it's a surprisingly surprisingly statistically close uh matchup one of the few first we've seen in a while i suppose a couple of the bits to get out of the way the storylines and whatnot that we'll talk about afterwards this is the first matchup between brothers with the kelseys this is the first matchup between two black quarterbacks uh this is the youngest matchup of two quarterbacks there's lots and lots on the go um there's also, I believe, it's one of these ones where the, the speed at which both these teams have returned to a Super Bowl uh, following their last one or their last win or something, I think, is also the fastest. But, um, yeah, so this is going to be an interesting one. We kick off the Kansas City offense. So, as we mentioned at the start... Um, we're looking at a spot where the majority of the players are going to be healthy, but Harmon's not there. The question is, with the rest time that's been there, the big question mark for the Chiefs offense is going to be Mahomes' ankle. He does have a high ankle sprain. He has had two weeks to, fix, to, to kind of work on it. And the feedback out of the pressers is that he is mostly like 99% good to go. They can use the majority of the, of the playbook and... It shouldn't be a major injury. Mahomes has talked about how he'll play through anything to get out there and so on. But this is a this is a defensive line that they're coming up against that has multiple ways of getting to the quarterback. They have four separate players with over 10 sacks. Uh, this is kind of a dangerous group. Now, the knock, and we'll talk about it at some point, is that Philly maybe have had a softer schedule on the run in here. But that doesn't change the fact that they have a lot of threats on this defensive line. The Chiefs, on the other side, have quite a successful offensive line particularly in the middle the center and the two guards have had exceptionally good years Orlando Brown Jr. on the left hand side has had some issues um, but less so whenever he's been protected he's been assisted with a tight end on chipping and the right tackle is kind of bang average so this is this feels like a spot where the where the risk of pressure is more from the outside in coming past through the tackles here so do we think that this that this is a way that Philadelphia are going to be able to disrupt the play, or will Mahomes be movable enough to be able to kind of keep keep himself alive in the pocket? Because he is quite known for keeping a play alive well beyond the point that it should be. Yeah, I think this is a, a, one of the key one of the key questions uh, for this match. And I think what's interesting is you know how this meshes with how much mobility he has. And look, I'm, it's, it's one game. They're probably just going to if there's any problems, I'm sure it's going to pump full of full of painkillers and send them out there. But it's interesting when you say the, the ed, at the edges, controlling those edges, how do you manage that with Mahomes' pocket movement? Are you then looking to create a situation where you want him to move more vertically to climb the pocket? Is it that you're trying to then, if you think you're going to be overmatched on the edges, try and push and get those guys to over-pursue, to come around, to create space basically between the guard and the tackle for Mahomes to move out and extend plays? And I think how KC approached that, how KC approached that blocking scheme, how they approached managing that edge pressure from Philadelphia is going to be really, really interesting. And how, as much as Mahomes' mobility matters, what are KC going to do to try to facilitate that mobility within the pocket and then potentially outside of it to extend those plays? Um, 
that's going to be, I think that's going to be the key matchup is how can, can they basically, if Casey think they might be overmatched, can they control at least how and where those ends are going to create that time and space? And is it going to be kind of more of a vertical or lateral kind of thing that they want Mahomes to be able to do uh, to do that, to take advantage of that window before uh, pockets collapse? And pockets will collapse during this game, even if, if Casey play out of their minds Philly have that level of talent on the D-line so that's thing I'm looking out for early on is seeing how deep are they how deep are they sending those rush uh, how deep is that bull rush going how are Casey trying to push it where are they trying to move them towards and where are they trying to create the space for Mahomes to move around I think that's going to be really really important mm. Yeah, but I think this year we've seen the Casey offense evolve to not be a deep first offense. Like, I think they've changed the philosophy such that they earn those deep shots now. Like, they force the defense to come onto you by throwing it quickly, by Mahomes staying in the pocket more. Like, the escapability is kind of the X factor where when a play hasn't been designed well or the defense sniffed it out, you had that, you know you know in case of emergency push the, the the parachute button let Mahomes just do something magic but it wasn't as important to the offense I'd say this year as it was during when they had Tyreek Hill who obviously is just an absolute freak at getting open at the top of his routes that's not something that MBS or Michael Hardman were able to do like they're good deep threats but they're traditional deep threats they're not gonna you know freak any defensive backs out when they have them in front of them um so I think that's actually you know it's it, I think it's almost good for them to have to happen this year compared to say when they were playing Tampa Bay those years ago when Mahomes was hurting hurt and you just saw that the lack of escapability and the lack of being able to extend plays and make those deep passing plays in particular was such a huge loss for them, albeit against a great defense. So I think what you've seen from KC this year is a lot of tight end heavy sets and a willingness to, you know, obviously Kelsey is the main part of that offense and he's been, you know, he's basically nearly impossible to cover in zone coverage where his option, like with him and Mahomes just have that psychic connection to be able to get open and option rights, it feels like at will. So then like, do you put someone man to man on Carver's Kelsey? Do you have to put a defensive back like Chauncey Gardner in there? And how does that affect the, the Philly defense, which, you know, it, it, we'll talk about later. Like, look, we could talk about it's like a good defense there's no doubt about that yeah they have all of those threats along the defensive line and they don't have to use any of them too much because they have so much depth like they have Fletcher Cox Jordan Davis Javon Hargrave and Linville Joseph in the middle and then they got Brandon Graham Josh Sweat Kazir White and even like Robert Quinn randomly there if they want to get pressure along the edge and while I wouldn't say their linebackers are a strength and I think that'll certainly be something that the Chiefs will be looking to exploit with with with, with Kelsey and the other tight ends who've done well this year and presumably if Andy Reid can get over his hate of the run game potentially even the run game you, you have CEH back I don't know if they're going to use CEH or rely on the Pacheco McKinnon um, tandem in this game but or even Ronald Jones which I suppose randomly for one play uh, but you know there is opportunities there like I don't think that's a weakness weakness in the sense that they're like TJ Edwards and Kassir White are bad linebackers but they're not you know compared to everything else in this defense they are certainly a step down so yeah, yeah. you know for me I think the way Kansas City play this offense right now is if they if their plan is a works what they've shown to be their plan a works then kansas city should still be able to be production but the big question is if plan a doesn't work and andy reid refuses to run the ball and they try to do big play mahomes play if they just revert to kind of bad habits and mahomes starts stepping way back in the pocket and trying to make something happen that's where i feel like kansas city could start getting into trouble but i don't think that's where it'll start that's but that's where it may go if, if the philly defense can live up to its reputation yeah well so this is the thing like this year coming into it like you said they've moved away from the very deep ball approach they now lead the league in the middle distance of so between 10 and 19 yards passing um and like we said, this is not 
their strongest group of wide receivers, MVS, Juju Smith-Schuster, Kadarius Tony, Moore, people like that. Um, and obviously Kelsey's there, but Kelsey's a kind of a, a different thing onto himself. Your question, Mark, is this is a this is a passing game that lives in that 10 to 19 yard area versus a defense and a group of defensive backs who have been destroying that. They are the best defense against passes into that area with Slay Bradbury, Chauncey Gardner. Now your hope is obviously, like you mentioned there, that one of them gets pulled and gets put on Kelsey entirely. And that maybe that gives you a little bit of space to find matchups within it. But I think what it's actually probably going to come down to is a question of, um, Kelsey coming in with them bringing in Blake Bell or bringing in additional tight ends, running heavy sets against them, and particularly heavy sets where you run jet sweeps going the other direction because what you want to do is you want to get what is a... If there's a weak point on this Philly defense, it's going to be that inside linebacker kind of position and whether or not they have the speed if people are drawn off to be able to to, to keep up. So I think you want to, want to try and stretch horizontally what they're asking the linebackers to do. And that will be, you know, running away from where the additional coverage is coming. A couple of surprise plays. I would, I, I would imagine that we will see Andy Reid keep himself interested in the run game by setting up very unusual looks to run out of and at least one or two kind of trick plays that might be double reverses or things like that just to kind of to force movement to try and to try and see where they can open it up because I think it is that it's not going to be running fully down the gut on them but you know side to side movement will open that up for them if they can get there it's going to be stretching those linebackers and trying to find creases between them because this is a road grading line. This is a line that can get up into the second level and punch holes through there. So if they can start to get side to side movement and start to get blockers in front, that could be a big problem because Philadelphia, as good as they are, they sit as a mid-ranked run defense in the league. I think they're 15th or 16th. And part of that is just because they got up early on teams and teams had to go away from the run against them. It's not that they people weren't making yardage. It's just that you couldn't game plan around that with the way that they were scoring early on in the season. So I think that's possibly a route as well. But as you said, Ronan, this is not a, uh, this is not a, uh, a coach and Andy Reid who can really stomach running the ball for any extended length of time. So I'm not sure if, if we'll actually be able to see that next. Let's look at the Philadelphia offense, taking on the Kansas city defense. Jalen Hurts didn't have a phenomenal showing in the last game, uh, but he was coming off a shoulder injury that had held him out for a couple of weeks. Uh, that looks to be, or at least according to all reports, to be healed. They have two top-end wide receivers in Brown and Smith who are going to be taking on an incredibly young defensive backfield in the Chiefs. The question is, can they actually match them? Can they actually keep up with these top-end wide receivers because one of the problems that faces the Chiefs' defensive backs is that as well as being young, and some of them are performing very well, but they're young, there is also a problem of height among some of them. They do tend to scale a little bit more to the, to the shorter, which is something that Brandon Smith have been able to kind of work against. Uh, it, it changes kind of how you leverage against them, which is potentially a problem for them, particularly now with Spagnolo and his incredibly just, I'm just going to blitz everything. It doesn't matter what's put in front of me. I just like to blitz. Fuck it, blitz. Uh, that approach is interesting because it doesn't provide an awful lot of support to your young defensive backfield if you're sending extra players in the whole time. So I'm I'm not sure if the defensive backs will be able to hold up incredibly well, particularly on deep balls. So I think it's going to come down to the defensive line getting some pressure. Um, but yeah, like what 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 do we think about this this Philly offense? I'm going to I'm going to go in with the assumption that Hertz is at least ninety percent, if not higher, on that shoulder, and will actually be playing like closer to full. 
Well, it's a really interesting contrast, right? Because you talked about for Kansas City, they have a, a fairly interesting array of wide receivers, but no no superstars there. Uh, and like I honest, honestly, I was kind of going to say that like it's almost a strength, I suppose, against a, a superstar defensive backfield for Philly. Uh, but in terms of the Philly offense, you're talking about two guys who are very much the center of the offense and A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, and they bring very different skill sets um, and they have very different strengths. Like A.J. Brown, they basically mostly this season have Adam either going on go routes or in-breaking routes based on faking them out in the go route. And he's obviously a guy on the go routes, can beat you deep, he can go right past you. Uh, he, he has that in his locker. Uh, but I think he's most dangerous when he has those in-breaking routes deep or in the medium to deep areas where, you know, once he gets the ball in his hand in those areas, and obviously you're only dealing with defensive backs then he's a you know he's a terror with the yards after the catch he is someone who's incredibly hard to bring down especially for defensive backs and that's obviously going to be a huge challenge for these defensive backs who are obviously so young like Drake McDuffie and Jalen Watson albeit like to be fair these guys have been making big plays they've been making the step up particularly in the playoffs so like you know like certainly going forward but even this season I think you can have some level of confidence they're not just going to like get absolutely blown out I think it'll be interesting for Philly that I think the Philly offense has kind of worked so well so often this season that they haven't really had to go too much deeper into the locker we haven't like Dallas Goddard's obviously been injured this year but he's obviously been an effective weapon for Jalen Hurts last season and he's obviously been a good tight end in general and then you know they haven't never really had to rely on like Quez Watkins or Zach Pascal to get stuff done and I'm not sure that Kansas City have the you know personnel to kind of shut them down uh, you know like like say San Francisco might have been able to last week I think one interesting thing that I saw uh, recently was that Spags while it's, Spags has kind of changed his philosophy a little bit this year you've seen Kansas City move to more of a too high shell and having a lot more discussion disguises but the disguises don't no longer exist to set up the uh, blitzes but they're being set up to create confusion and to create more socks by coverage so like the Kansas City defense had a bunch of sacks in the chat in the conference uh, in the conference game against Bengals but I think nearly all of them were coverage sacks they weren't based on blitzes they, it was a four-man uh, or five-man uh, front and they just got their sacks the organic way for lack of a better term and so what you've seen here I think is a little bit of evolution there so it'll be interesting and I think like similar to the Kansas City thing where they have an obvious plan one uh, like plan a like can spags get a, like his plan a can that work sufficiently can he confuse jalen hurts can he make that jalen hurts have to think and hold the ball for a second and let you know carl Aftis and chris jones and frank clark and the rest of these guys get some pressure because obviously the, the philly offensive line is one of the best in the business so you know they will probably need to hold him in there confuse him a bit make his life a bit difficult because hurts i think is a guy who you know when he's able to make his first read is one of the best in the league but i don't know if we've seen him if he's forcing to stay in the pocket if he's if, if the defensive line's it's disciplined and he's forced to diagnose the play and go to his third fourth fifth read that he could do that on a consistent basis particularly if he's not if you take away the option to scramble which obviously we know he's such a threat with so you know i think aj brown huge threat deep huge threat uh, for yards up to catch Devonte smith one of the best wide receivers against zone coverage already in his young career he's a guy who just absolutely feasts over the middle so they have huge weapons there but I think the question for Kansas City is can they you know with two weeks of preparation can Spagnola put together a plan that confuses and makes Jalen Hurts life difficult enough that he starts to have to go to those options have to work those other areas because if you're going to win this game I think you're going to have to do that um you know I think overall obviously like Philly are happy to run the ball but they've generally been a team who passes first tries to you know get the other team off their back and then starts running the ball and starts scrambling um so they have a plan a 
Spagnola's a guy who has a kind of unique... Uh, he, there's not too many defensive corners like him left these days. So it'll be an interesting challenge for Jalen Hurts to, to deal with that. Yeah, I think, look, I think I think Ron's pretty covered that pretty comprehensively. Um, there's one thing to to really emphasize there, and that's uh, that you touched on briefly, which is about um, Hurts' ability as a ball carrier. And I think that's something that could be critically important for Philly is if they're not able to get that, how effectively can they get space for him to scramble? How effectively can he make space to scramble? You're going to see a lot of um, there's a lot of big need for a guy like you know Chris Jones or whoever to be able to uh, clog up the middle of that, not just against the run game, but also to take away the options of where Hertz is able to go without the ball. Hertz was, uh, I, I can't remember exactly where, he was definitely in the top five rushing quarterbacks this season, but if I remember rightly, his yards per carry are actually a lot lower than others. He just had more attempts than everyone else. There is a very heavy instinct with him to when he doesn't get that first read, as Ron alluded to, to pull, to tuck and run. And Casey have to be prepared for that because it's something that happens a lot. It's something that Philly do more than have done more than any other team in the league. Um, and if you can't contain Hertz and you can't keep him limited when he starts moving when he pulls the ball down and when he starts to tuck and run you're going to give up um plays particularly in kind of second and short third and short situations where it's favorable for him to be able to make you know three four five yards to pick up that to pick up that first down so it's absolutely critical that casey are able to contain him and whether that means that they need to on certain uh, downs and distance uh, keep a, a spy in for linebacker whether it means they need to put in more pressure uh, on the on the line with guys like again Chris Jones to take away some of those lanes that Hertz can move into, that's going to be really really important for them to be able to limit that attack because even if they are able to take away that first read, that second read, uh, or make Hertz hang around long enough that he doesn't get a man open in the first few seconds, there is a lot he can do with the ball in his hand, and we know he's willing to do it. We know it's his instinct to do it. So absolutely critical for KC that they are prepared for that essentially as being that almost second option that he's going to before he goes to his third read. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be really important in terms of how they manage that and how they try to limit the damage this Philly offense can do, which, uh, as we know, even though we can make comments about their schedule, I know we'll discuss this later, um, still can be very, is very, very dangerous regardless of the quality of opposition they've been up against. Yeah. yeah, and I think, for me, it's similar to the offense for Kansas City. I think the evolution that they've made on both sides of the ball actually play well with what they'll be facing in Philly, but I could also see on both sides of the ball that they're bad old habits, not running the ball on offense, trying to go for the deep win game ball on offense, on the defense being, you know, blitzing heavily, all out aggression. You know, if they can just play to what they've done this year, to the evolution they've made, which is, you know, basically papered, well, not papered over, but has basically made the loss of people like Tyreek Hill almost like basically irrelevant, if not made the team stronger. If they can stick to that and those things work, then I think Kansas City will show they have, uh, they have a real opportunity to win this game. Because I think like, if you look at the, the balance of like talent, Obviously, Philly are a team that has the advantage of a very cheap quarterback. They've obviously made a lot of investments in trading for guys like AJ Brown. So, you know, top to bottom, if you look at the roster, just like player by player, you would probably give the advantage to Philadelphia. But obviously, Kansas City have that winning, you know, experience. They have been in this environment, uh, you know, before. They've won before. They've lost before. They've seen everything uh, for so many of the players in this team. Um, so they just need to execute what they're what they've done well. 
well this year. And of course, they've gone through so much bigger challenges than perhaps Philly, who, you know, while have, have won some games, have not necessarily gone through the most the toughest gauntlet. And we saw even towards the end of the year where Philly, you know, faltered a little bit and had to kind of scrape through in week 18 to get the number one pick. So I think Philly are the more talented team. And so obviously that gives them a natural advantage. And I suppose that's where I'll be airing at the end of this. Uh, but Kansas City, I think the evolution they've made has been incredibly impressive. And it's actually, I think, will play well against the strength that this Philly offensive carried them um, to the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, I think the, the the key for me on this one is going to be seeing where where they're scheming that pressure from. So I think Spags has been good, particularly in the playoffs now, kind of spreading it around between the players. So Frank Clark has obviously been kind of the playoff guy for us, uh, given that Jones, as good as he is, is uh, he got his first uh, playoff sack last week, or sorry, two weeks ago against the Bengals, and he got two of them. Uh, and Karlaftis got one as well. So they've kind of he's been migrating where the pressure comes from, and I think keeping them guessing that way will help. Um, just once they've, keep... they've done that in the backfield as well, right? They've been yeah. rotating the safeties and kind of trying to disguise what they're doing pre-snap, like yeah. going from two high shells to three high shells to to, to, to one high shells, and kind of so just like keeping the keeping the quarterback on the other side. Uh, first, game. I think that's what you can do when you have a veteran defense and a veteran DC. Yeah, so that's that's what I'm hoping to see. Uh, one to keep an eye on now. If uh, <laughs> Frank Clark, and I, I kind of always was surprised to see it was this level. Frank Clark is two and a half sacks away from being having the most uh, playoff sacks in the NFL ever. Like he's just bizarrely doesn't do anything for the most part during the season. Let's let's Chris Jones eat up the during the season production, and then in the playoffs just goes like time to get paid. Uh, so yeah, so he's up to thirteen and a half sacks, and I think the I think the record is sixteen. So uh, he's not too far off it. But yeah, let's have a little look then at some bits of the storylines and other things that might come into it. Obviously, let's look at the coaching side of things. There's question marks over whether or not. Sirianni is getting a little bit underestimated. There's a lot of people saying, look, he's got talent on the roster. How much of this should go to him? Or was it just a soft schedule? It feels almost like not exactly the same, but a little bit of the, the, the Zach Taylor discussion with the Bengals about like people are unsure about how much of this is just talent or how much is him. But um, no, it's interesting because he has a relationship with Reed. He was fired early in his career from him. Like it was... There's overlap in the systems, and then obviously, as, as, as everyone I think and their mother is aware of, Andy Reid used to play, you, you, you used to be the head coach of the Eagles, um, took them to a couple of championships, never actually won one with them, uh, or never won a Super Bowl with them. But you know, there's a lot of DNA there. There's still some players knocking around from his time there, uh, and so when we look at the when we look at the coaching, we have a somewhat unquantified entity in Sirianni who might be very good, might be okay, definitely isn't bad, but we don't know what level of impact we'll be able to have on on, on this game, particularly the fact that he has uh, a history with them. Andy Reid, obviously very good offensive innovator, has had problems in the past with clock management, has had problems in the past with being able to lean on the run game, has had problems in the past with sitting in these games and maybe not adjusting enough because uh, he does adjust he just sometimes he just really wants to do what he did beforehand so when we look at these two coaching situations outside of obviously the jesus andy don't be challenging plays like you know a minute into the second half or whatever where do we think we might see kind of breakdowns here or where we might see kind of differences being made by the by the coaches well i think with andy reed like i i like i get why he's attached to 
his game plan because he's one of the best offensive play callers in in, in the NFL. And I also think like when you hear the, the news you mentioned earlier on, Connor, about you know Mahomes is able to run everything in in the playbook. I'm like, is there Andy Reid like looking at the page where the like the the Casey Casey special or the I don't know like the Philly <laughs> Philly special or something like that just because it would be uh, such a like such a moment and yeah like even though Mahomes is a bum ankle but like look like Tom Brady nearly caught a pass and uh, famously caught a pass in that Super Bowl so you know maybe a bum ankle Mahomes can get it done as well and he's been doing plenty of jump balls regardless and look I think for Andy Reid like he's obviously downplayed it for obvious reasons but you know I think it is like Philadelphia is where he cut his teeth he obviously came so close multiple times to winning a championship with Philly and you know the way it ended wasn't the greatest way he could end it like they lost a lot of games and he was kind of kicked out of town um i think he still has a lot of affection for the team but i think to a certain extent and obviously you know it's gone on to much greater things in kansas city um so he can't feel too bad about it but you definitely you know there's going to be a little bit there and we know andy reed gets the tricks out anyway he loves having trick plays he loves trying new things he loves making innovations on the biggest stage so i think you'll at least have one or two plays where kansas city do things that you're not expecting um how central those end up being to the actual game flow we'll see uh but we know what the game plan like we've talked about the actual game plan and then the bread and butter stuff but we can see something i think sirianni is actually a little bit more interesting from a narrative point of view i suppose because yes there's some underestimation like you know we're like you know you got all year it's been like they had a soft schedule you know it's just a super talented team armchair right etc like that. but I think for Sirianni there's something a little bit extra here because he has a very interesting relationship with Andy Reid because he was fired by Andy Reid when Andy Reid came to Kansas City Sirianni was there from the previous regime and you know like he he totally talks in positive terms about Andy Reid how Andy Reid treated it but Andy Reid had his own guy he brought in and Sirianni was fired and he had to move across the country and obviously it's worked out for him but even more so than that he ended up spending a lot of time under uh, Frank Reich who obviously uh, had some experience who has some experience under um, the uh, Doug Pedersen who obviously won the Super Bowl previously in Philly um, and who's who uh, Doug Pedersen is a direct kind of person uh, to the Andy Reid tree so I don't know how much DNA there is there shared between these teams in terms of their play calling I think the big thing about the Andy Reid thing compared to say the Shanahan system is that you know it isn't really that like it, it's much more adaptable it's not as kind of pigeonholed in terms of what the the base of that offense has been except that passing the ball is fun uh basically and i think you know someone like sirianni is a bit more pragmatic about the home run game but i think for sirianni this means a lot because i think you know this is a guy in his very first interview we were all going who is this guy he's making a bad impression doesn't he know what he's doing like you know it wasn't adam gase bad but it was kind of in that same quantum in terms of how people were treating him and he's just shown in the years that he's been in, in, in as a head coach here again and again and proving guys wrong and along with Harry Roseman he's continued to build them and the big thing is here like when they make mistakes they move on like Jalen Rager who the fuck is that guy he's gone now you know and then they trade for like they, they draft Devonta Smith the next year they trade for AJ, uh, AJ Brown the next year so this is a team in Philly that is not afraid to experiment is not afraid to do it. and I think like as I talked about before the conference round the big thing that I like about Sirianni and I like to like about Zach Taylor is that they're guys who you know don't want to own everything they're not like oh i have to control everything they trust their players they trust their coaches and they work with them collaboratively like a ceo type head coach to create the best game plan that they can and like look you know when you get to the tougher stage when they start paying hurts and they have much money in the salary cap i don't know if that'll be more difficult and you know whether it'll work then but right now it's working really well. It makes sense. You have a really talented team. Trust them to know what they're doing. Trust Jason Kelsey. Trust Jalen Hurts and let them go at it. Um, but yeah, I think there's some interesting things going on there. I think Andy Reid, yeah, I think for me, yes, you're a genius. But, you know, maybe take a step back if it's not working. Run the ball for a while. See if that works and uh, do that. I think Sirianni will adjust to whatever's out there. But, you know, it'll just be, you know, that some of the things in Kansas City when they work are nearly impossible to stop, particularly Mahomes. 
Yeah, look, I don't have a ton to add to that. Again, I think that's a really comprehensive overview. There is one thing that I do, I do want to note about the kind of, I mean, alluded to it a couple of times beforehand about, um, you know, Philly's, Philly's schedule and whether or not we have seen sort of a real test of this team and what they can, what they can do. Uh, when you look at it, and it surprised me because I hadn't really thought about it when I was looking at it before the podcast, like, if you look at Kansas City schedule, it wasn't actually that much worse this season. And if you look at the games that they actually won, um, with the exception of the Chiefs' really impressive win against the Niners, uh, there really isn't much in it. Like um, a lot of them have played, really, but a lot of the teams they've played have been really bad. Now maybe that's a function of a lot of teams being really bad this year, uh, and Casey having the benefit of, of uh, two of the teams in their division being absolutely dreadful. But um, yeah, there is a question of like how much of the Eagles really been tested and come through it. Whereas KC is like they were tested a few times this season, uh, you know, uh, against like you know the, the Bills and the Bengals. And while yes, very impressive win against the Bengals, obviously in the championship game they lost them during the season. They lost to the Bills. Um, so it's and it's not like they've had a massively different thing. You're again looking at them beating up on the AFC South, uh, beating weak teams in their division, beating like the you know the, the Cardinals and the Bucks and teams like that. So I think there's probably an over-egging of that narrative that doesn't actually reflect that KC haven't had the toughest time either and have failed. I would say two of the three really tough games because the Chargers don't count. The Chargers just roll over and die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Chargers the Chiefs, will just find a way to lose. But I know the difference is the, the, the really... Chiefs have in a row, so oh. I think people are kind of like building into that as well, you know? Like, you know, when the Chiefs have gone to so many conference championships in a row, people are kind of like, well, they've kind of proven it over a continued period of time type of thing, and so they don't get the same doubting I think the Philly, Philly Eagles are getting, you know? Yeah, no, I think that's definitely true. But, but the point I'm more broadly making is that when we talk in terms of like how tested is this team in its current format, there is a tendency, as, as you rightly say, to sort of downplay uh, that KC haven't had as many tough challenges that they've been able to overcome either, um, nor have Philly. But there's a lot of unknowns there, and I think there is uh, there is a lot that we basically this is going to be. I think the different. I think the key difference probably is this is unquestionably going to be Philly's toughest game of the year. Whereas for KC, yes, they haven't won all of those games, but they've definitely played against uh, a number of high-caliber high, cal- high caliber opponents uh, three or four times, whereas Philly have had a very easy ride. And then, of course, the Niners should have been the test, but that game just didn't happen effectively. Um, so I think that, that, that I think that does make this interesting because I don't think we've ever really had to see the best of the Philadelphia Eagles. But the flip side of that is, is how much of the best of the Chiefs have we seen either? And we've seen more of it, probably. I don't know. Maybe maybe, don't maybe we saw the best of the Eagles in their week one, 38 to 35 over the Lions. Yeah, well, <laughs> the best of the offense, maybe. I don't know about yeah. the defense in that game. But Plus, you get what I'm saying. Like, there's there's a, a lot more. I think the problem is that the, 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 the games that are going into the memory going into this are... You know, beating up a, a a Giants team that didn't look like they should be in the playoffs, and beating the like twelfth string quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers versus Bengals and stuff. But like, I get entirely what you mean that over the season this is maybe an overworked narrative. Um, yeah, I think it's it's to do with that whole general concept of like the NFC not having as much depth in it and stuff. But like, yeah, like. And let, let's be honest, the Philly Eagle, like the Philly fans, they love being the underdog. They're like, oh, you don't believe in us? We're going yeah. to show you oh, Kansas City. They think they're so great. Yeah, Andy Reid, whatever. <laughs> yeah, the, um, them, them, them 
doing their underdog mask thing here. whenever they're the fucking bookies' favorite. It's just like lads, relax yeah. yourselves. Um, but no, no, it'd be good. And obviously, then we mentioned that we've got both the Kelsey brothers in here. So obviously, Travis on offense, wanting to make a big impression, has been kicking the shit out of it in the postseason so far. Um, I think he's he's just hit 17 postseason games there, so basically a season's worth of play, and it was an insane amount of numbers he put up. Uh, Jason is obviously on the offensive line the other side and has been playing out of his skin as well. He has decided that he wants to win at least the narrative battle, so his wife is bringing her OBGYN to the game, and there is a chance that he may have his child during the Super Bowl. Um, But yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I imagine basically we're going to see lots and lots and lots of cuts to... The, the the mother and that in the half and half jerseys and oh isn't it amazing to see both of these ones in, in this spot rather than any particular standing the thing is get obviously travis probably has the better chance of making a big standout because it's a bit splashier the position he plays versus like just being an incredibly competent offensive lineman doesn't really get you as much kudos yeah, maybe not to you uh, casual fans, Connor, but we appreciate the center play. Uh, ah, go off and do your fucking <laughs> punt weather forecast again. Over, under uh, on punts in this game? Uh, two. 2.5. 2.5. Okay. Interesting. Oh, I'll take the over on that. I'd take the over on that as well. I've got a feeling that this is going to be one where, like, I think coming out of the second half, maybe, like, second half of the third quarter or something, we're going to see, like, both adjustments and both are going to have a little bit of struggles, and it's going to be who can turn it on for the fourth quarter. But yeah, speaking yeah, like of the Kelsey, the Kelsey brothers, have like a whole podcast now, so it's a little bit played out. But like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, to... fucking get onto your own fucking corner, Kelsey's. Go on, <laughs> fuck off. We've been doing this for eight years, baby. We were here <laughs> in the bad times, but no one knew what a podcast was. Yeah. Well, Except for the ones we listen to. But anyway, that's... That's true. Um, speaking of going into a weird second half, uh, which team do we think will be more pumped up by Rihanna? Um, what do we think are the highlights going to be of the halftime show? Who do we think is going to come <laughs> in and play with her? Uh, it'll be somebody... What it'll be is it'll be like uh, that phrasing. time, like, um, you know, Bad Bunny came out, and I was like, who the hell is this guy? And then I was like, oh, this guy's actually massive. I'm just old. So it'll <laughs> be somebody like that. It'll be somebody who, like, younger people... Like, we've all heard of Rihanna, but it'll be somebody who younger people are more into, who we will just never have heard of, and will turn out to actually be just somebody who is completely massive. But, you know, we're just... we're just. I don't... It has it has that feel, because it's a... Because just gigged it a while. I've got a feeling that we're going to get someone who's, like, that we know coming out as well. Yeah, so she hasn't... I think she, what... Re- basically said pseudo retired in like 2017 or something so that's like five years ago when we would have still been vaguely aware of culture like or popular yeah. culture at that point uh, and most of our best single well most of our most famous singles involve uh that are, are like that involve collaboration with people that we would know like uh eminem or whatever for example yeah. he did it last year so it's probably not eminem <laughs> no maybe jason derulo calvin harris woo as long as it's not fucking Maroon 5 or Coldplay again, I'm fine. Cause like, oh, like, bring Calvin, back the Black Eyed Peas. Because oh, Calvin Harris is very, is very relevant after having the... Uh, he did like the Blue Dabba Bleeba remix thing, didn't he? With the, no, that was um, that was a different chap. Uh, that was... Uh, See, we're out of touch. We're completely out of touch. Yeah. Although, didn't Calvin... Oh, hang on. Didn't Taylor Swift turn down the Super Bowl? Didn't she used to date Calvin Harris? There you go. Yep, she oh. did turn down the Super Bowl. Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, although I did hear a, I did hear a rumor that that was to do with the sponsorship of it because I think Apple Music now sponsored the halftime show and she has a thing with Apple Music or something or she has a thing with someone other than Apple Music. 
because I think maybe they were the ones who were distributing her albums before she was re-recording them or something like that. But yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure because initially it was just that like she's like I don't need to <laughs> I don't need to pay to be this because normally it's a pay to to play kind of scenario because oh. you make so much money off the back of it. I was but, thinking like, of David Guetta. Yeah, David Guetta is your man. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. So him, 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 and your one have the have the reworked version of Blue Abbott and David Abbott and Die that have changed it in a mind blowing way to uh, I'm good and I'm feeling all right, uh, which is absolutely fucking awful. But it can't be them because they were the um, one of the wildcard the, games, right? <laughs> no, it was the uh, it was the Thanksgiving game. Thanksgiving oh, game. Oh yes, yes, yeah. and that was really. Uh. And it was like just all late 2000s refer or late 90s, early 2000s references. It was like, what's going on here? I'm yeah. No. Um, so let me see. So we're gonna have Rihanna. We're gonna have a couple of couple of the old school bangers. Obviously, she's got a new album coming out, so there'll be some new bits on it. Yeah. Um, I see. The thing is, I'm not sure if she's if she wants to be upstage by having someone like very big, surprising coming up or whatever. But uh, I don't know. Could you do? Could you? Could you bring? Could you bring the boys? Get the band back together for uh, Umbrella, maybe. That's possible. Yeah. Like, like I think, like she, she will probably do the hits because you know she's trying to reestablish the brand, I suppose. But uh, yeah, I don't think she's gonna go like full Beyonce, where it's like I'm Beyonce, I'm just doing my new stuff, deal with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, it should be, should be good. Is there any other factors we think are gonna go into this? Uh, which team is more culturally at home in Arizona or whatever? <laughs> Arizona doesn't have a culture. Like, uh, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll tell you an interesting fact. Uh, at the end of this game, whoever wins the Super Bowl will have won more games in that stadium than the team that plays in that stadium this year. That's oh, not that no. <laughs> Both both Philly and Kansas City won there this year, if I remember correctly. So <laughs> one of them will be one of them will have two wins at the end of this. Uh, yeah, like look, like I think. You know, unlike last year, which had a sense of like place, this is in Glendale, Arizona, which I think is just like it's kind of just become the default Super Bowl place when they don't have a new stadium to yeah. put the Super Bowl in. It's like Glendale, Glendale. It's either, you know, I think like the Cowboys, like uh, you think Cowboys maybe would be one of them, but I think Cowboys they probably have to save for like anniversary Super Bowls or something. Mm. It's like we only go to, to Dallas Cowboys for special. Jerry, Jer- Jerry said he won't have one in the stadium until they're in it, so they're never going to have one in the stadium. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, I, I, Go on ahead there. I was shocked actually. I know. I was shocked. I didn't realize this. So when we talk about teams that just don't make the championship game, the Cowboys didn't realize how long it had been. Crazy. Thought it early nineties, something like that. Oh Wait, yeah. You, you you didn't hear a fact about the Dallas Cowboys? I didn't know people were able to not know facts about the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> yeah, we're not 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 any negative facts about the Dallas Cowboys, you know. Mm, that's oh, true. I'm sorry. Yes. They they were scrubbed from the scrubbed from the records like uh, all those uh, Soviet uh, style photos. It's like yeah. goodbye. So I suppose we've we, 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 we've left the listeners on tender hooks long enough. Uh, Harry, what's your prediction? Uh, so I have called it KC twenty four Philly twenty one. I think it's going to be lower scoring than people expect. These games often are. Yep, uh, that's the thing. I think I believe historically you're all like you massively massively better off if you bet the under on the Super Bowl from what I understand Sean has gone for Kansas City unfortunately he couldn't make it in time for the podcast but he said Kansas City are going to win 31 to 28 I don't like it when we start getting this many people on the same side as us because it always feels bad Ronan please give me give, give, give me something 
I got Philly winning 28 to 24. Talent wins out in it uh, in the classic NFC way. You know, you think of the Tampa Bay win, the Seahawks win back in the day. You know, the talented team gets it done on the day against the superstars quarterback and the you know less talented team overall. Yeah, I have I have Kansas City winning 34-24. Uh, I have it that the score is 31-24. Philly are driving down and a strip sack from Chris Jones getting the big play that he wants to show off in the Super Bowl uh, that then results in the Chiefs kicking a field goal to close it out and finish up more than one score. Uh, very exciting times. But yeah. That's very specific. Did you have a dream about that? No, no, I just thought of it there. I was, trying to, I was trying to figure out the narrative of what the score would look like and I think it's that. I think it's a defensive stop that then results in. It's not that Philly are, 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 are trailing by 10, that they're pushing to just score and keep up score and then it's a defensive play that pushes it over the edge and then they a, a big butker 42 yarder or something like that you you were dreaming and Kansas City winning you're happy then you see Kansas City run the ball and you're like oh this must be a dream this can't be, <laughs> this can't be right <laughs> Isaiah Pacheco has 33 touches what <laughs> um yeah no it'll be it'll, it'll be a fun one now looking forward to it so we're gonna have good bit of fun down in Dublin for it. Uh, obviously, that's going to be most of the weekend plans. Anything else planned for the weekend, lads? No. <laughs> uh, well, I've uh, uh, been a big nerd playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. yeah. I'm unfortunately down in Kerry, otherwise I'd be playing it with you. <laughs> you would, you would. Uh, but yeah. I'll probably catch the rugby, that's about it, I'd say, on the Saturday. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Ireland played very well last week, so... Uh, intriguing to see how they uh how they fare against france this weekend should be should be exciting but i suppose that will wrap us up for our super bowl preview we will be coming back to you with a post super bowl review we'll see whether or not we do it drunkenly the following morning or what we do we'll figure out the timings of it but i suppose uh for now it's bye from myself bye from ronan bye Bye from harry this has been all four quarters thanks for listening and we'll chat to you next week